This is a conversation with Alice Lattice. Hi, Alice. Hi, hi, Serge. So, Alice, um, a lot of people think of you as a role model, and uh, I certainly admire your incredible vitality and energy. And um, um, would you want to share some of um, your experience about that? Well, I was thinking about it between the first time you called and now, and I think the first thing is luck. <laughs> uh, I probably was born with uh, good genes. Um, that's not because I inherited them. My mother died of ovarian cancer at 62, and my father died of a heart attack at 52. But I think I must have gotten good genes anyway, because I was lively from quite early on. Uh, I have a lifelong friend. She was born two months before me and our mothers were friends. And we went to camp together. We've done a lot of things together over the years. And she's always saying, you always had so much energy. Mm -hmm. um, I was an only child uh, with a lot of uh, attention given to me, which probably was useful. Yeah. It, was always, it wasn't always useful attention because the, the apocryphal story is I had a tonsillectomy at the age of two. And the story is that I wanted to sleep in my mother's bed, so she slept in my crib. She was wise enough to come to the hospital with me, but she wasn't wise enough to know that what I wanted was not her bed, but her. Yeah. Um... The second thing besides luck, I think, is um, curiosity. Mm -hmm. I've never been a conformist, um, although that was very hard in my early life. I mean, I didn't do things. Uh, I was a conformist until I got out of college, I think. Um, but I was interested in why... Nobody in my family got married, stayed married, and had more than one child. That was partly because of the Depression. Uh, but still, there were families all around me. I was the only child of divorce in my school. So you were, you had the curiosity to make sense of the world, noticing what you were noticing about families. Well, I think because I was... <clears throat> the only child of divorce, and I really didn't like that. I longed to be in a bigger family, um, you know, with a, sis a sibling and with a father and a mother. Um, my parents were amicably divorced, and I visited my father in Montgomery every year. But I think that was what led me to want to be a psychologist or a social worker. Mm -hmm. So then I discovered that what people were doing wasn't all that useful and I got interested in the work of Bill Humreich. Yeah. Let me think what else. Well, my my almost mother-in-law, I, uh, I was sent as a student leader to the Roosevelt home and there I met a man named North uh, whose parents had homesteaded on an island in Puget Sound. She was an extraordinary woman. 
um, and she told me about vitamins and organic food when I was 19. I didn't follow that um, right away, but it has been a major theme. I'm very disciplined about what I eat and about uh, being healthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For example, for breakfast this morning, I had a pear, and I'm not drinking coffee. I'm drinking emergency with my vitamins. So what's it like for you to be disciplined? Uh, is there kind of a struggle about maintaining discipline, or is that something that feels uh, not natural? Anymore, there, not yeah. anymore, Susan, because since I'm now 90 and approaching 91, and I have grandchildren, one who's not born yet, one who's four and one who's nine, and I want to stay alive, it's very easy for me to do what I need to do, and I do a lot of things for my health. So was there a time where it was a struggle, and how did you deal with it? Well, when I was first out of college on my first job, I didn't eat well at all, and I didn't, um, I didn't do a lot of exercise. I didn't know enough then, and there weren't enough places. But I pretty soon gravitated to studying ballet, because it was the only kind of exercise that was easy to find and do. I mean, people weren't running. There were no health clubs. So I studied dance. And was that before or after you uh, got interested in Reikian uh, therapy? Um, I think it started before. Um, after the war... I went to Europe, um, and instead of becoming just a tourist in Paris, I decided I wanted to live the life of a, a Parisian. So I studied ballet there with a former a Russian who was a former member of the Marinsky, uh, the Marinsky School in Russia. Mm -hmm. And Margot Fontaine came over to brush up on her squad right <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> well, I guess it was before my interest in writing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering whether uh, that interest in movement and in dance uh, is something that helped you make the transition from regular traditional psychology to Reikian. I don't think that had much to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think that um, my first job in my field after getting a degree in social work was at the at New York Hospital, their outpatient clinic, Payne Whitney Clinic, mm -hmm. and I didn't think that what they were doing was very useful. The head of the department was totally against psychoanalysis, so all the the interns were sneaking away to get psychoanalysis, <laughs> and I was not allowed to work with the children. I was only allowed to work with the parents, which didn't make any sense to me because I was young. Mm -hmm. And the second job I had was with Nathan Ackerman, who you know the Ackerman Family Institute. Mm -hmm. I was a, a I was a, as a student my my uh, first assignment from the School of Social Work was with the Jewish Board of Guardians, and Nathan Ackerman was the head psychiatrist there. But I mean, it was a prestigious job to be yes. hired by this pretty famous psychiatrist. But I wasn't happy with what I saw the results of his work were, and that's when I got interested in the work of Reich 
And eventually, I worked in the Infant Research Center of Rice, and I was very interested in his ideas about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I think another reason I have some vitality is because I haven't been a total conformist to my culture. I think people who conform, you know, if they're brought up Catholic, they become they become Catholic, or if they're brought up uh, holy rollers, they become holy rollers. I think um, being brought up in the ethical society taught me to to seek to seek the truth and to not always conform to the society that I was in. So I didn't conform, and that may have helped. Yeah. So you have been a seeker and a non, non, not a conformist. Yep. And I still am. I'm still fascinated with what's happening in the world today. I'm pretty scared about it. Uh, I've written a musical about it, which may be produced next year I, in Santa Fe. I didn't realize that. That's wonderful, yeah. And, um, you know, Reich wrote a, a thing called Contact with Space. Yeah. I don't know if you've read it, have you? I haven't. You should. Uh, I got a pirated copy from Ola Rockness, who was Reich's trusted therapist. And um, I didn't really fully understand it then, but the largest contribution I've ever made to a nonprofit organization was for the center of the, the CSETI, the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I wear a little ET on my collar these days to remind me that the universe is a hell of a lot bigger and different than what we think it is. Yeah. And what I was educated to believe it was, I'd written a, a poem that I entered in a contest in Santa Fe for our local newspaper. Um, they have that contest every year, and one of them is a poetry contest, and it's called The End of the World, where you're supposed to write a poem about. And what I wrote about was how the ants on the tennis court where I play, some of them are randomly killed. They're just busy getting food. And they don't know anything about tennis courts or tennis clubs. But, uh, my cats, they know about my house, and they know about the neighborhood we live in because they live outside, but they don't know anything about Santa Fe mm -hmm. or New Mexico. And I was brought up. I learned about the galaxy, that we were part of the Milky Way, and I learned about anatomy. But I certainly didn't learn that there might be other planets on which there's life and other galaxies in which there are, are forms of creatures that are very different from us. And I've seen a UFO, so I, I know they exist. Yeah, so, so um, it's like the ant uh, that only knows its surroundings but has an inkling that there might be more, and uh, and wants well, to go around. Ants have an inkling, but my, but I have an inkling that there might be more. <laughs> yeah, but that's. Uh, well, that... I have more than an inkling. I know there is more, and I'm really very concerned. Uh, my my poem ends with, "Oh eyes and ears and nose and toes, please tell us if you can what happens when this planet finds itself devoid of man." I think we're headed for extinction because we can't possibly have enough water and air for the burgeoning population. Yes. And it's connected with uh, 
with this 99%. Um, I've been down to Occupy Santa Fe. I haven't been down to see Occupy Wall Street. But, um, you know, the Chinese are going to want to have everything that we have in America, and we use up a quarter of the world's things. Right, right. So if they start to function at the same rhythm we do, that doesn't mean much, uh, you know, for the rest of the planet. Or... I mean, I'm really concerned for the safety of my family, and I'm, I'm, I'm urging them, I don't know how I'm going to do this yet. Uh, I stockpiled some freeze-dried food and some water, and I'm going to put solar panels on my house, but uh, I think we need a place in the wilderness somewhere or somewhere far away from, you know, where there's, where there's safe water and, and, and where you can grow food. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons is I'm, I'm so keenly, I'm just as interested in new developments as I was when I was young. The reason I moved to a co-housing community is because the it's multi-generational, and the people in the 30 to 50 year olds that are on the are there, and some of the older people are pioneers in their generation. So I'm learning from them. I learned that you have to go down the generations from the father of my first child, who was a famous art dealer, who went down the generations. And every time he moved to a younger generation, the older generation grumbled and didn't like it. But I learned from him you have to go down the generation. Yeah. And professionally, I'm still trying to get to, to get somatic psychotherapies to present themselves in such a way that they can be incorporated into integrated healthcare. That's my professional goal at the moment. And that's where at uh, USADP we have the research award named after you. Well, I tried to get bioenergetics to. Uh, offer an award and I didn't succeed for 20 years so then I moved over to USABP and immediately they implemented it and then all the bioenergetics won the prizes <laughs> not all but many of them yeah um, and I just gave a, a speech club at, at, at uh, the bioenergetic conference and they're doing well as an organization now they are incorporating relational the relational and they're a democratic organization, which they weren't when I was there. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of it, anyway. Well, as long as Rowan was alive, it was a dictatorship, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So yesterday, I took a yoga class with my with my daughter. She's a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And I I exercise at least twice a week, and I do weights, etc. So the sense I get in this conversation more than anything else is a mixture of uh, that incredible curiosity and also of, um, uh, you know, using uh, being very much in your body. Yes, because that's the only vehicle I have to exist in now. Mm -hmm. Thanks. This conversation is part of the What Sustains Me project. See the website at whatsustainsme.com. Save water and, and, and so you can grow food. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons is I'm, I'm so keenly, I'm just as interested in new developments as I was 
when I was young. The reason I moved to a co-housing community is because the, it's multi-generational and the people in the 30 to 50 year olds that are on the are there and some of the older people are pioneers in their generation so I'm learning from them. I learned that you have to go down the generations from the father of my first child who was a famous art dealer who went down the generations and every time he moved to a younger generation, the older generation grumbled and didn't like it. But I learned from him you have to go down the generations. Yeah. And professionally, I'm still trying to get to, to get somatic psychotherapies to present themselves in such a way that they can be incorporated into integrated healthcare. That's my professional goal at the moment. And that's where at uh, USADP we have the research award named after you. Well, I tried to get bioenergetics to uh, offer an award, and I didn't succeed for 20 years. So then I moved over to USABP, and immediately they implemented it. And then all the bioenergeticists won the prizes. <laughs> Not all, but many of them. Yeah. Um, and I just gave a, a speech club at, at, at uh, the bioenergetic conference, and they're doing well as an organization now. They are incorporating relational, the relational, and they're a democratic organization, which they weren't when I was there. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of it, anyway. Well, as long as Rowan was alive, it was a dictatorship, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I took a yoga class with my with my daughter. She's a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And I I exercise at least twice a week, and I do weights. So the sense I get in this conversation more than anything else is a mixture of uh, that incredible curiosity and also of, um, uh, you know, using uh, being very much in your body. Yes, because that's the only vehicle I have to exist in now. Mm -hmm. Thanks. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com.